Would you open God's word to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 6 all the way to verse 10. Galatians, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we'd encourage you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. Uh, you may find this passage on page number 972. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to grab the Bible in front of you that's in the pew and take it home. We'd love for you to have it. It's our gift to you. This morning, we are looking at the folly of a fickle faith. The folly of a fickle faith. Listen to God's word from Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer, asking God to bless uh, the proclamation of the word and the hearing of his word for our hearts. Would you join me in prayer? God, we are grateful to you for revealing your word to us the truth about the gospel. As we hear this passage expounded, proclaimed, Father, we pray that you would give me the clarity I need and the anointing of the Spirit I am so dependent on. And Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear by your Spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Fickle. What does fickle mean? The Webster Dictionary describes it as being marked by a lack of steadfastness, constancy, or stability. More positively stated, it's being given to erratic changeableness. It also means changing frequently, especially as uh, one regards one's loyalties or interests or affections. Fickle. It's not a word we use often, but we see the effects of that around us in various ways. When someone just changes on you without any notice, without any, without any, any, any word ahead of time. Now, changing, being flexible can be a positive thing if, if those things are in a good direction. But when, when changing is from something that's good and stable and true to something different. That encapsulates the notion of a fickle, easy to change. Being fickle in faith is a serious and dangerous place to be in. And uh, the passage we have just read uh, talks and exemplifies for us what is wrong with being fickle in faith. 
Uh, now, I want to make sure we don't overstate the case and what fickle faith is not. I want to make sure we understand what fickle faith is not. A fickle faith is not the same as battling doubts or working through objections. There are seasons in our lives when we become aware of certain, how do I wrestle through this issue or this issue? And we work through understanding reasons for our faith as, as described and revealed in God's Word. When, when we are assailed by doubts, things are not going as we had expected, and our faith seems to be weaker than we would like it to be, I want to make sure you understand that is not necessarily a fickle faith. A fickle faith doesn't mean necessarily weakness, dealing with a weak faith in a, in a, in a difficult time or working through some doubts, although... Difficult times and doubts can make us vulnerable for a fickle faith. So they are not exactly the same thing, but they can make us vulnerable for a fickle faith. What is a fickle faith? A fickle faith is a faith that turns easily from God's truth as revealed in the Bible and starts believing something different, either a twisted version of God's truth or something entirely different, an entirely different set of beliefs. A fickle faith is when we begin listening and paying more attention and giving greater weight to what others might say instead of paying attention to what God had to say. The challenge of a fickle faith has been around for a long time. If you look at the history of the Bible, uh, remember the Israelites whom God saved uh, from bondage? in Egypt, and as soon as they were out of Egypt, having crossed through the Red Sea, and they got to Mount Sinai, a few months later, Moses went up the mountain and uh, went up to meet with God, to talk to God, and he, he lingered. The meeting with the Lord was a little longer, and after some time, the, it, the Israelites became impatient. So what do they do? They asked Aaron to, to fashion an idol so they could worship him. They have turned from God so quickly. A fickle faith. After seeing the miracles, the plagues, the, the, the walking through the Red Sea. A fickle faith is illustrated by Jesus in the parable of the soils in Mark 4. As we have heard it or read earlier by our brother Curtis. Uh, some of the seeds fell on shallow ground. They sprout quickly. They received the word quickly, with joy, immediately, it says. But when the heat of the sun comes, they also die quickly. This soil represents those who hear the word and receive it quickly with joy. But when it gets hard, when persecution comes, when difficulties arise, such people turn away quickly from following Christ. True saving faith endures. True saving faith perseveres. And the faith that does not persevere is not true, genuine faith. A fickle faith began growing in many churches in the region of Galatia. Their faith was fickle, particularly because they have turned from the truth of the gospel of God's grace to a distortion of the gospel. 
And today we are examining and looking at how the Apostle Paul exposed their fickle faith and how the Apostle Paul seeks to bring them back to the gospel by showing them four reasons why turning to false gospels is foolish and dangerous. And this is, a, this is a main point of the message this morning. Turning to false gospels is foolish and dangerous for our soul. Four reasons. Here's number one. Turning to false gospels is foolish because it's a turn from the God of grace. It's a turn from the God of grace. This is why it's, it's a foolish thing to consider wavering, changing to another gospel, to a false gospel. It's a turn from the God of grace. Now, Paul is shocked to hear that the Galatians have changed, let me underline, so quickly. Paul had visited these churches not long ago. They have heard the truth of the gospel preached from Paul himself. And now they are turning to a different direction. Does it shock you? If it happened to the churches that heard the gospel from Paul himself in the first century, it can happen to anyone today. Let it not be a shock to us that the drifting away, the turning to, to some other gospels should not surprise us. If it happened then, it can happen today. The first reason that shows the utter foolishness of their change is the reminder of who they turned from. It's not simply that you turn from one set of beliefs to another. It's not simply that you turn from one good news to another. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that they're turning from the God who called them in the grace of Jesus. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. By turning to a different gospel, they have turned from God. This means that our closeness to God can only be maintained as we remain close in the gospel, in the truth gospel. There is no fellowship with a true God apart from the true gospel that was revealed to us in Jesus. There is no relationship with God outside of this one true gospel. And this gospel is quickly and sweetly summarized in what God has done for us in the grace of Jesus. He called us. He called us in the grace of Jesus. What does that mean for us? What does that do to us? It means that God calls us to salvation, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Uh, this, this grace was explained by the Apostle Paul in the earlier verse, in, in, chapter, in verse 4, which we have expounded last week. Let me just remind it to you. Verse 4, who gave, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. The grace of Jesus Christ is that he gave himself for our sins. And God calls us to himself 
in this grace. And it's worth pausing here. Even though we have talked about it last week, just say it again this morning. If there's anyone here who's not a believer, experiencing God's salvation is a call to experience what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Namely, to give Jesus for our sins. And I wonder if you have experienced the grace of God in your life, if you have experienced the call of God to call you to himself, not based on what you have done, not whether you are good enough, not whether you have committed no crimes. Oh, friends, that is not the salvation that God calls us to. God calls us to the salvation that is in, in the grace of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Do you know this grace? Have you heard that call? Have you responded to his call? If you have not, I want to plead with you today to consider that God is calling you to be made right with him, not because of what you have done, but, if, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. If you'd like to know more about that, the pastors of the church or anyone who's a member of this church would love to talk to you more. The Galatian Christians have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, but now they're lured to twist this gospel by adding to it the requirement of the Mosaic law, particularly circumcision, but also the obedience of all the other laws in order to be saved. In doing so, they considered the grace of Jesus Christ incomplete and insufficient. This was a change. This change was an affront to God, a turning of their backs on Him who called them to a lavish salvation that was entirely free. Imagine with me for a second. If someone was invited to the uh, most expensive steakhouse here in our city. Uh, I don't know which, which is the most expensive steakhouse. Uh, I've been to a pricier one once. It was really nice. Um, but imagine whatever the most expensive steakhouse is, imagine someone is invited to that place and it's complimentary. The owner invites you, wants to give you this meal. And Im imagine this person, whether it's you or someone else, gets excited for it, gets ready for it. But when they come to the restaurant, they come with a brown bag, McDonald's. And the meal gets to be served. And they start taking the appetizer and they eventually get to the, to the steak and the, the good stuff. Fantastic service. But this fella pulls out his brown bag and gets a McDonald's cheeseburger sandwich from the dollar menu and starts eating, instead of the steak, starts eating that dollar menu cheeseburger that I like to get or I used to. <laughs> what would that owner say? I invited you to, to a three-course meal the best steak in town. And you're bringing your dollar menu cheeseburger. I'd feel insulted. 
What's wrong with this guy? And yet that is what we would do when we dare to twist the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. When God invites us to a, to a fellowship with him, to the best in town, the best in the world, there's no other. And yet we, we bring in our own resource, our own meal. Oh, friends, it's a slap in the face of God. It's a turning away from the God who invites us freely to enjoy fellowship with him on the, on the grounds and the merits that he provided entirely and exclusively. And when we think about adding something to it and see, thinking that what we do adds merit to our salvation, adds more reasons, grounds for us being made right with God, oh, friends, it is a turning away from God. God calls us to salvation in the grace found in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his body to be broken for our sins. In our pluralistic society, we're being told that there are different paths to God. And as long as you are faithful in what you believe to be true for you, you'll get to God. That's pluralism. That is not what God tells us in this word. This text shows us that in turning to a different gospel, one that you would choose for yourself, you're turning away from God. You're not turning to Him. There's no other way to Him except through this gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. So why is it foolish to turn to other gospels? Because it's a turning away from the God of grace. A second reason why it's foolish to turn away from uh, the true gospel to other gospels because there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. After Paul exposed the folly of the Galatians to turn from the God of grace to another gospel, he makes an important clarification in verse 7. He says, not that there is another gospel. When people think that they turn to other gospels, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not ready to concede that there is another gospel. There is no other gospel. And then he goes on to say, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. My friends, Paul makes it very clear there is only one way to be made right with God. There's no other way. It's through Jesus Christ by faith alone on what Christ has done for us alone. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The true gospel is powerful to save. All other gospels cannot save. They may they may soothe your conscience. They may give you for a while some confidence that you are doing all right, but they cannot save. They're not able to save. There's only one gospel that saves, and it's a gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, false gospels or distortions of the true gospel are constant, a constant threat for the church. And when they appear, they should trouble us. It should be a trouble. If we're not troubled by false distortions to the gospel, we're in trouble. So when the gospel is being distorted, it should cause some trouble. Friends, if false gospel started as early as 
the first century in the churches that Paul had visited. Well, friends, how easy it is for them to continue to mushroom today. In the early 20th century, we have seen the gospel of liberal theology. The gospel of liberal theology can be summarized in the words of one theologian who said, and this is what a gospel of liberal theology proclaims, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That is the gospel of liberal theology. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministration of a Christ without a cross. This gospel may appeal to many today, but it's not a saving message. It may pump you up. It may be encouraging and uplifting for the week, for the month, for the year, for the decade, for this age. But it will not be working. It is not powerful enough to save. There's only one gospel that can truly save. Traven Wax, a uh, graduate of Emmanuel University in Romania, one of our ministry partners, uh, wrote a book entitled Counterfeit Gospels. And in that book, he identifies several forms of counterfeit gospels that are mushrooming in Christianity today. The judgmentless gospel, the therapeutic gospel, the gospel that simply announces the good news but does not call people to respond by faith, the moralistic gospel, which focuses simply on improving your morality, just being a better version of you, thinking that that will get you brownie points with God. The activist gospel. Let's just be activists for good causes in the earth. The churchless gospel. And the list can go on and on. If you want to know more about those particular distortions of the gospel, I commend you to pick up Traven Wax's book, Counterfeit Gospels. Friends, the point is the following. There's various ways that the gospel can be distorted among us. I remember a few years ago uh, calling up a member of our church, meeting him up at Chick-fil-A, and asking me how he was doing. He said, not good. I said, why? He had, he had gotten a job, or he had signed up for a job, and uh, he was excited for it, promised to be a really good working gig, uh, submitted the paperwork, did all the stuff to... To, to get applied, and he got accepted, gave him the information for the direct deposit, only to find out that the company was not a legit company. They emptied his bank account. It was a scam. Any gospel that presents itself as a gospel outside of the gospel of the, of the grace of Jesus Christ that is to be received by faith alone, in Christ alone, is not a legit gospel. It's a scam. And we just need to say it. <laughs> There's only one true legitimate gospel. So why is it foolish to turn to other gospels? Because everything else is a scam. There's only one true gospel. Third reason why we should not turn to false gospels. Why it's foolish to do so, it's because it leads to destruction. 
it leads to destruction. Turning to false gospels is foolish because it leads to destruction. Look at verse 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The danger of distorting the gospel is so high that Paul has spoken about it before in his visit to these churches. And now he repeats it again. He says in verse 9, As we have said before. Did you catch that? In other words, this warning was given before. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed or anathema. What does it mean to, to be accursed or anathema? It means being under the curse of God or being devoted to destruction. An example of, of how this word was used in the Old Testament. Remember the book of Joshua when the people of God battled Jericho and God said everything in Jericho is to be destroyed everything do not take anything from it everything is to be destroyed and Achan in Joshua 7 he takes something he keeps some artifacts of gold and precious stuff he hides it in his tent he took what was devoted to destruction and because he took what was devoted to destruction for himself, he ended up being destroyed along with it. Remember the story, the story of Achan? Well, that word, devoted to destruction, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, is the word an anathema. To be anathema is to be devoted to destruction. This is what God decrees through the Apostle Paul. Anyone who preaches a different gospel contrary to the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ is to be anathema, is to be destroyed. And if they are destroyed, those who follow them will follow suit as well. And the Apostle Paul adds and says, listen, there is no church role high enough that can protect you from this curse. There is no ranking high enough that can protect you from this curse if you mess with this gospel. The Apostle Paul gives a few hypothetical scenarios. Even if we, he says, and he includes himself as an apostle, even if we came to you and preached another gospel than what we have already preached to you, or even if an angel from heaven, and just think about that, um, imagine if, if someone would claim to have a dream or some sort of encounter with an angelic being and say, Pastor Samuel, you can't believe, I, I, I saw an angel. I had an encounter with an angel. I got this message. And, and you would be like, wow, I got a revelation from these heavenly beings. Even if that were the case, if that revelation is a contradiction to the gospel of being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, let that angel be anathema. In other words, it doesn't matter what church role you might have. It doesn't matter what high ranking you might think you can have. No one who would mess with the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, no one will escape the destruction of God, the curse of God. That's how serious, that's how serious this thing is. Not fooling 
not being fickle in faith to turn to false gospels. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. So if, if pastors, if we here, if any of us, any of the elders here, begin preaching to you a different gospel than what you have heard already from this book, from the Bible, you should, you should fire us. You should not listen to us. If any of us begin preaching a gospel different than this gospel, we should confront each other about it in love, but with, with severity, with firmness. This is not to be messed with. Destruction of our souls is at stake if we mess with distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why not turn to false gospels? Because it's dangerous for our souls. This is why we want everyone in our congregation, every member of the church, to know the gospel of God's grace. We ask you to say it to us before you come up, become a member. You cannot become a member of this church if you cannot be clear on the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we want to repeat that regularly because the, the accountability to guard the gospel is not just with the pastors. The accountability to guard the gospel is with the members, with you who are listening and hearing who are members of this congregation. So we want each of you to know the gospel so clearly that you can proclaim it with crystal clarity and also that you can identify when something is off and goes into the ditch. We want to help you know this gospel. And if you, if you want to know more about how to sharpen up your understanding of the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, first of all, the book of Galatians is a fantastic book. The book of Romans is a fantastic book. And if you want to learn more and tease the implications of that out further, a book by Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel? would be a wonderful resource to help you work through clarifying what the gospel is and isn't. Why, turn, why not turn to false gospels? It's foolish. Why is it foolish? Because it's dangerous for our souls. That was reason number three. The final reason, the last reason, why turning to false gospels is foolish because it caters to the approval of man. Because it caters to the approval of man. In the last verse of our text, Paul turns his focus away from the Galatians to himself. And now he declares that in confronting them with their error, Paul is seeking to please not men, but God. Look at verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. From these questions, it appears that some in the church in Galatia accused Paul that he preached a salvation by grace alone, apart from the Mosaic law, because he was trying to please the Gentiles. Oh yeah, that's a nice way to please the Gentiles and get, get a crowd. You just, uh, just don't preach the law of Moses. Don't tell them that they get to be circumcised. That surely makes the, the gospel much easier. So people, it's appear, apparently from this verse, appears that, that accused Paul that he was just preaching the gospel of the grace of Jesus as a means of just appeasing or pleasing, uh, getting the approval of people. And Paul tells us that he is proclaiming the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, not because he's a people pleaser, but because he's a, a God pleaser. He does it to please God. 
And, and still, Paul's devotion to God is seen that he is willing to confront false gospels even when it means risking the approval of people. Paul says, if you think that I'm doing my service just because I try to approve or get the approval of people, I surely am not trying to get your approval now, am I? When I'm confronting you now, I'm not just trying to please you. I know this is hard to hear, but I'm here not to please you. I'm here to please the Lord. And this tells us that actually turning to false gospels pleases people. It's more pleasing to others to hear gospels that put man at the center, that bring man's contribution to the table. Why do people feel the lure of false gospels? Because it pleases people. Holding on to a salvation that is found exclusively in the grace of Jesus Christ. Holding to a salvation that says there is nothing good in us that we can bring to God for our salvation except our sin. That is not pleasing to our ears. It is not pleasing to preach the gospel of the grace of God. So when it comes to guarding the gospel... You cannot take your cues by what is pleasing to people or what people will approve. I love how one Dutch theologian put it, the service of Christ goes straight against the grain of what people naturally love to hear. The service of Christ goes straight against the grain of what people naturally love to hear. So check your heart. One way for you to be ready to resist false gospels is to ensure that you are not living for the approval of people. And if your battle in the heart, is, if, if your heart battle is one that struggles with living for the approval of people, watch out. Be, be on guard that it doesn't lead you and cause you to get to a place of twisting the gospel of the grace of Jesus. Because pleasing people goes hand in hand with willingness to twist the gospel. Friends, turning to false gospels is foolish and dangerous for your soul. It's foolish and dangerous for these four reasons that we have seen in our passage. Because it's a turn from the God of grace. Because there is no other gospel. Everything else is a scam. Because it leads to destruction. The destruction of those who proclaim a false gospel and the destruction of those who will follow a false gospel because it caters to the approval of people. Friends, a fickle faith is a disease that grows in many churches, particularly young people who grew up in church and claim to have a salvation experience in your younger years. I want to give you a caution. If the Lord takes you to go away to college, away from this church family, or if you just simply move out of the house and live on your own and begin make, making your own choices, it's very luring to begin to make choices and to go after the lures that the campus will, will send your way or your new independence, your new independent living will provide for you. It's very easy in a time of increased independence with a lot of changes, with a lot of new situations, for a change to take place in your faith and for you to become fickle in faith. 
It's very easy. But this fickleness of faith is not only for young people. You can be an adult of any age and get into a season in which your faith becomes fickle. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, or any of you who are hearing this message this morning, consider the folly of a fickle faith. Consider the weightiness of being fickle in your faith. You cannot pursue God, the God of heaven, the God of grace, and be fickle in your faith. Consider the fickleness of faith and its folly. And take heart from this warning. And let's stand, stand fast in the gospel of the grace found in Jesus Christ alone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for the warning that your word gives us that we may not fall into the trap of the scams of false pretenders to false gospels. Father, we recognize and acknowledge that at the end, in the end, it will drain our accounts of any hope of eternal salvation. Awaken us to the folly of falling for false gospels and embolster us, encourage us, build us up to, to develop steadfastness and discernment and zeal to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ we pray for his glory and honor. Amen.